0: So this morning, uh, we are talking about our finances today. This is Giving Sunday. I looked at at my sermons uh, and to see when we started, because you remember I told you when we first started doing these sermons on giving, I said, there's only been one time in the past that I ever preached on giving. One time in Victoria, I preached on giving. Never had. And then here, we, we started getting in a little situation in 2014. And that was the first time that I'd preached on giving other than... Uh, what I did once in Victoria. So 2014, so if you add those up, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Is that right? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, I can't count, even when I'm using my fingers. So seven years now, this is the seventh time uh, that I've been preaching on giving, and I know we talked about it last week, but I really think we need to talk about it still. And here's the reason why. If the government came to you and said, sorry, uh, ma'am, sir, family, we're going to start taking 10% of your income. Uh, 10% more than what we've been taking, for example. All of us would say, wow, that's significant. Glad you told us. Well, in the church, we don't have the right, of course, to say to you, we're going to take 10% of your income. We do have, I think, an obligation to say to people, there is a responsibility that you have financially, and we'd like you to take this responsibility upon yourself. If you decided that it was 10%, that's a big decision. For some of us, it's huge. And so, yeah, we need to talk about this. This is a big deal. This is a big thing. This is the Lord's work we're talking about and a significant responsibility that we have in thinking about these. In 1982, Robin and I went to the Long Beach Church of Christ. I started working there as a youth minister. Began my first ministry position. I was making $17,600 a year. Before that, Robin had been making about $400 a month in Abilene. And I had been working at a restaurant. I don't know what I was making. Excuse me. <coughs> Maybe I was making $150 a month or something, as, you know, as a part-time student. Our income was probably less than $600 a month when I was a student at ACU. And so, you know, did we have a lot of money to give? No. And I, I mean, we did give something, but it was a pretty small pittance. All of a sudden, I'm making $17,000 a year. A massive amount of money. And I had to start thinking about that responsibility. So we go to an elders meeting early in my tenure there. And the elders and staff held a meeting in which we all challenged each other to make sure we all gave at least 10% of our gross income to the church. Because we wanted to be examples. And so in fact what we did was that night we took a piece of paper and everybody wrote down what they would be giving if they gave 10% of their gross income to the church. What would they be giving Uh, on an annual basis and I remember being flabbergasted because one of the guys wrote down something like $22,000 and I was just like, what? How is this even possible? Um, And I don't know which one it was because it was all anonymous. I mean, I have an idea who it was, but it was all anonymous and so I thought, man, that guy's making $220,000 a year. This is amazing to me that he could be making that kind of money. Um, and I don't know if he actually did give 10% of his gross to the church. I have no idea. But that's what we all wrote down. What we would be, if we're given 20%, 10% of our gross, that's what we would be giving. So I decided, Robin and I decided, <coughs> man, my throat. Robin and I decided that because we felt like the 10% was minimal in terms of what God had done for us, that we would actually give more than that. So we set our hearts on, at that point, giving 13%. Of our gross income to the Lord and um, the fact is we haven't always been able to honor that commitment but that was the commitment that we made and it does make some sense and it's going to make some more sense in light of what we're going to talk about uh, here in the next few minutes I think I want you to turn if you would to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and this is on page 136 in the Bibles that are underneath the seats And I'm going to admit to you from the beginning here that the whole notion of tithing from the Old Testament is puzzling to me. Puzzling partially because I find some, like it's not that there are inconsistencies so much, it's just difficult to sort out what the Old Testament is actually saying. Now I've just asked you to turn to Deuteronomy and we're going to get there in just a minute so keep your finger there but I've put another text up here on the screen from Leviticus that I want to look at first. Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32 says, A tithe, or a tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And the notion here is that God's people are being expected to give a tenth of what they have received back to God. Now it's interesting because in this passage it doesn't say where. It doesn't actually say when. Now, because of some other instructions in the Old Testament, we can kind of figure that out that probably there's the regular worshiping of the Lord that the Israelites do and they're supposed to give 10%. But in this passage anyway, early on, and this was very early, this is when they're still out wandering in the wilderness. Uh, there's a tabernacle but no temple and all of that. This is just a general statement about tithing. And that's kind of at this point all I can kind of surmise. Okay, we're supposed to give 10%. But then there are some other passages, and the fact is these other passages confuse the issue a little bit to me because I haven't been able to sort out entirely what's going on. So look at your text at Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two or 14. Beginning with verse 22. And Deuteronomy fourteen twenty-two says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Now that's fairly clear. But then it says, Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks, in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God Always. But if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Now that's interesting. The first passage, Leviticus 27 says, give your tithe to the Lord. This passage says give your tithe essentially to yourselves. You give the tithe, but then he says eat it. Buy some food with it if you're too far away. Give the tithe and then you and your family can eat it. And then take if you're too far away the, uh, then take the silver or sorry take what you have and sell it and get some silver and buy food and then eat that. Well, that's puzzling. What in the world is going on here? And what I think is going on is that the context for this is now specifically worship. And in fact, I think there was a festival and a special worship time where the Israelites were to go, and at that festival, they were supposed to take a portion of and I'm going to say just a portion of that tithe, and they're to eat it and spend it on their families. Part of the reason I say that because, just think, if you took 10% of your income, spent it on food, and then went for a few days somewhere to worship the Lord, would you and your family be able to consume that amount of food? Not even close. And so it doesn't make sense that it's just consume your 10%. That doesn't make sense to me. So what then is the Lord doing here with this 10%? We're gonna spend all this money on food and eat it all within a few days at a festival? Like, that doesn't make sense. Until you read the last verse or so. And so, well, first of all, just let me say, there's a couple of things that strike me about this. Number one, if they actually did this, it would be a huge amount to try and consume at a festival. In a few days, you'd use up 10% of the year's accumulation. That doesn't make much sense. And second, the strangeness of this command is then answered, in my opinion, in verse 27, and the request for them to consider the Levites. And so if you look at the very end of that section, look at verse 27, it says, and do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. And so what I think is happening there is that, yes, you give your 10%. There's a portion of that that you take and actually eat during the festival there's a portion of that we use for ourselves but then the balance of that which would be the majority because we can't eat that much food at the festival the majority of that is actually going to go to the Levites so what they didn't consume ends up going to the Levites now again I find all of that a little bit difficult to sort out but it gets thornier because look at verse 28 At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners and the fathers and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. What? So we had a tithe in Leviticus 27 that was being given and that was we know from Deuteronomy 18 and some other places, is going to go to the Levites. Then we have a tithe where there's some food that's going to be eaten at a festival, but then the balance of that is supposed to go to the Levites. But then, at the end of every three years, you bring all those tithes together with the year's produce and store it in your towns, and then that goes to the Levites, and then it goes to also the foreigners and the fathers and the widows who live in your towns, and they become and eat and be satisfied. Now, I have to admit, I don't know exactly how that works. It is difficult to sort that out. I have a feeling that the difference here, the thing that's happening is that every three years, especially the fatherless and the widows, they get a, a special portion. Now, we know that's supposed to take place all the time in Israel anyway, but there's a special gifting here that comes at the end of three years for those specific people. So Somehow, all of that works into the mix. And I, I don't know exactly how all that works, and I'm not gonna try and sort it out this morning. Here's what I think is the crux of the matter. Tithing, giving 10% of their annual intake was required of God's people by God. That was the expectation. And it may be difficult to see exactly how it was given and when, how it was sorted out, But it seems clear to me, at least, that that's the teaching. Some of this, the Israelites ate and drank at a festival, I get that. But by and large, there's 10% that is supposed to go to the Lord. Now the fact is, if you think about it, we do a little bit of the same. Kevin gives a portion of his income to the church. And that goes to feed some poor, the widows, take care of things, support some missionaries, the work of the church. But one of the things it does is it pays the lights so that you and I can be here and be in an enlightened environment on Sunday mornings. We also get to enjoy some heat on a cold day. We even have some food that we eat. And we will do that in just a little while. So we actually do take a portion of our income now, the tithe that we offer, and actually use it for our own benefit. It blesses us specifically in the act of worship. And that is not too far, I think, from what we just described. So there's a sense in which I think what we're doing is relatively close, actually, to what they're doing. And all of that leads me to a point that I think is pretty easy. If the Jews were expected under the Mosaic Law to give 10% of their resources to the Lord, that maybe Christians who were no longer under law but under grace... And who should therefore be even more grateful to God than the Jews should consider giving even more than the Jews were required to give. And you may think to yourself, now, wait a minute, how much are you going to ask for? The beauty of it is, it's not me. It's God who is asking something of you. And if he's asking for more than 10%, that's God who's asking for more than 10%. It's not me. Now, I don't know why, I can't even remember, it was 1982, I don't remember why Robin and I picked 13%. Maybe that's what we thought ultimately we could afford that. I don't really remember. I do remember very carefully making that decision. The fact is there is no rule in the New Testament Testament about how much Christians should give to the church largely because you cannot legislate the gratefulness of the human heart for what God has done for us in Christ. You certainly can't limit it to something like 10%. We live under a new covenant where worship doesn't just happen at a certain time and a certain place but as a part of the whole life being given to God in worship. Almost nothing, therefore, is legislated about our worship to God, and this applies to the amount of our income and our money that we should give to the work of Christ. The fact is, we should give what the Spirit lays on our hearts to give out of love for God. And I can't imagine that that would be less than 10%. can't imagine that if the old testament under that covenant said to its people give 10 percent how in the world could the spirit possibly be laying on our hearts something less than what was legislated under an old covenant when we have a new covenant in jesus the spirit calling us to something richer and deeper and fuller And so, yeah, I'm talking about a significant amount of your income, whatever it is that you decide. You might decide, if you're wealthy enough, that that should be 60%. That's a possibility. There are some of you that could live easily on 60% of your income. There are some of you that could easily live on 30% of your income. There are some of you that could probably live easily on 20% of your income if you absolutely had to the Lord ask of those people 10%, I think we need to think seriously about doing more than that, but that's something the Spirit needs to lay on our hearts. I hope he lays it on yours. And so yeah, I think it's appropriate for us to say to the church, to ourselves, that we should give money and give sacrificially. And at the same time, Cheerfully. By the way, if you're a guest with us this morning, as I said, I, you know I, I do this once a year. They actually push me to preach on giving more than I do. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not going to ask you to give me ten bucks and I'll give you a hanky and I'll pray over it. Okay. I'm not going to send you a prayer shawl. I'm not on TV. I'm just telling you what I think the Lord says to us about what it means for us to offer a portion of our resources back to him. And so I have a challenge. First, about money. Please don't love it. Please don't. I once, once asked a wise old leader in the church who'd been a Christian for over 40 years what the biggest problem in the church was and he summed it up in one word. He said, it's money. He said, we have too much of it so that therefore, we don't have enough. We have so much that it becomes for us an idol. And when it becomes for us an idol, then we keep thinking we have to have it. And so we pursue money, oftentimes, as a kind of idol, and then it seems like we never have enough. If it's not as significant to us, then we can have what we have, and yeah, it's always enough because we don't really care. But if it becomes that important on our radar, then I guarantee you, you will never have enough. And so please don't love money. You know that finances is one of the major reasons that husbands and wives split up. If I ask one of you, what's your biggest worry? The good chance is you're gonna say, my finances. Like we worry about these things, we fight about these things, we, um, <laughs> we're compulsive about these things, we fixate on these things, we stay up at night thinking about them. It's not that often, however, that we spend much time thinking about how much of our money should be given away. But that's how the Lord keeps talking about our money. So, Paul says, but the godliness with contentment is great gain. Just think about that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then these are my italics and boldness. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Is that not true? It is so true. But we sometimes have a hard time seeing it. Second Timothy 3 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. There's only one time I can think of in the New Testament when somebody was struck down by God the way that people seem to always be getting struck down in the Old Testament. What is it? Ananias and Sapphira. What'd they do? Lied to the Holy Spirit about how much money they had. And on the spot, they both dropped dead. Jesus says in Matthew six twenty four, you can't serve both God and money. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then hated it afterwards. <laughs> it's amazing to me how much not just the Bible talks about money and what we should be doing and how responsible we should be, but especially this whole notion of not loving it. Second thing, about lordship. Love God more than you do your wealth and possessions. Remember this story? Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, meaning they didn't make any sacrifices. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. And God, Jesus, commends her for the sacrifice that she makes to God, giving out of her poverty. And all that was simply because she was devoted to the Lord. She wasn't trying to get something. She wasn't doing this because it was required of her. This woman was giving to the temple treasury way more than 10 percent and clearly it was because she loved god and for that jesus commends her she gave all she had because god had all of her heart does he have ours if jesus is lord of your life he's going to be lord of your money He ultimately is responsible for how much you have and then he wants you to let his lordship in your life be the motivating factor in how you use what it is that he has given to you. So here's the big ask for this morning. If your finances are not worse than last year, we're asking that you give a minimum of $5 a week more this year than you did last. If you gave nothing in 2019, start giving $5 a week. If you gave $1,000 a week in 2019, please start giving $1,005 a week in 2020. The fact is, if you started right now to give $5 a week out of your income, based on the 10% rule, how much is that of your income per week? How much income would you have if it was 10%? 50 bucks a week. Anybody in here make less than $50 a week? Don't raise your hands. Ben. $50 a week. Is $5 is 10% of that. And there's not that many people, not many families among us who make less than $50 a week. Now, as we've said, although there's no specific amount suggested in the New Testament, a minimum of 10% of your income makes sense to me. I'll let you decide if that should be gross or net. We're gonna watch a video and pass the contribution bags. I, I mean, I don't know what you'll give today. I don't know what you're prepared to give today. I hope that in the rest of the year you consider what you should give. God is going to bless us if we give to him. Let's pray and then we'll watch this video. Lord, we thank you for the gift of being able to give to you. And that's what it is. We praise you for that. That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. That it's a gift, a grace from you that we would give back to you. Help us, Lord, to do that. Compel our hearts Convict us through your spirit and help us to take our responsibility in giving to you seriously. We pray through Jesus. Amen.